welcome to this uh, breakout session and thank you for joining in to talk about flourishing as medic, uh, medical mission workers. And I've titled this session, Flourishing as Medical Mission Workers Begins at Home. Um, in the part of the world where I come from, some of you may have been able to guess already, um, I come from Nigeria, although I live in South Carolina now. And I, I'm still working on my southern, you know, draw, but <laughs> in spite of my effort with sweet tea, it hasn't come. So for today, you will have to still endure the Nigerian peace. But uh, there we talk about charity begins at home. And I think flourishing workers also begin at home. So this afternoon, we're going to just spend the time together, first of all, looking at some case studies. I really hope that you can see what is on the, on the screen, but I will read them to you. We will reflect on those stories and what they represent. And then I will share a few more points. Uh, and then we will open it up to questions <clears throat> and probably comments from others because I know you all know uh, quite a bit about being missionaries or medical missionaries and all the places in the world where people go to serve as medical missionaries. But before we start, let me pray. Father, thank you for today and for these days. Uh, these are the days that you have made, Lord. You have brought each of us together because you have a purpose. You have a reason for bringing us to this Global Mission Health Conference for this year. None of us is an accident in this place. We are a part of your purpose and a part of your work. And we are grateful, Lord, that you will invite us to be a part of what you are doing in your world. You could have run the world by yourself. But you chose to involve us in making Jesus known and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. In ministering to the needs of people around us and caring for those who are sick. Being hands and feet of Jesus in many places. And at the same time, Lord, as you invite us to do that, you also invite us to follow you. You want us to continue to flourish as people whom you have called, even as we bless others with the skills and gifts that you have given to us. So, Lord, I ask that you will bless this session, that, Father, the Holy Spirit will be the leader and guidance, and that we will just receive from you that which you have for us. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Joshua Bobinjoko, as it's already indicated. I work with SIM, um, and currently I serve as uh, SIM International Director. The question of flourishing, especially flourishing, flourishing workers, flourishing missionaries, is one that is really dear to my heart. And the reason is that having had the privilege of traveling around, visiting workers, not just SIM workers, but interacting with missionaries, over several years, I've seen a number of people who have gone out to serve Jesus, but whose life themselves is such a struggle that you really wonder what kind of gospel are people who are looking at them, what kind of gospel are they receiving? Because the gospel is the good news of great joy. And yet, sometimes, those of us who carry that gospel have far less joy than sometimes the people we want to share the gospel with. And I think part of the problem is the whole question of our own flourishing as the people who have been called by God to serve him. So today I want us to reflect on that in the light of this passage from Psalm 1-3 which I think is a passage that kind of really referenced the whole idea of flourishing. Of course, Psalm 1 started with, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the, of the wicked, or sit in the seat of sinners, or you know, stand, uh, walk in the path of the scoffers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And then he came to verse 3 and he said, And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. I think that's a picture of flourishing. In fact, that passage of scripture compares fruitfulness with withering. It's fruitful, and the leaves does not wither. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. Streams of water. The picture in Psalm 1 is a picture of channels of water. In fact, that's what the language is. It's channels of water. A tree planted by channels of water. Not just a tree planted by a stream, but a tree planted between channels of water so that it's receiving water year-round. No wonder he doesn't see when uh, drought comes. And I believe that God has called us to be the Psalm 1-3 people. But sometimes we face challenges that doesn't make life seem like Psalm 1-3, even when we are missionaries. So, I want to start us off with a few case studies. I'm going to read them to you because some of you may not be able to see it from where you are sitting. And I'm just going to ask you to reflect back some of the, uh, from some of the questions I'll be asking. So, and her name was Anna, not her real name. She was a committed Christian and a competent pediatrician. She was full of energy and a desire to serve God and serve the people to whom God had called her. She applied to ABC Mission to go to, ver- to a very poor country in Africa and serve in a well-known mission hospital for six months with the possibility of a future longer service. This country is known as one of the poorest countries in the world with one of the highest infant mortality and uh, infant mortality rate. That should be, there should be rate there. And a low life expectancy. Anna saw ABC missions opportunities for medical missionaries to come <clears throat> to some very needy countries and decided to apply. She understood from the recruiters that there is a great need in this country, a need that she could feel. In fact, there was no pediatrician in a 400-mile radius, and her expertise would be much needed. She would be a much-needed help. Anna was also told that there were other physicians in the hospital, but none of them is a pediatrician. She did not know where all the other missionaries are from, but she knew that she would not be alone. She understood that there were basic amenities like basic lab and x-ray. Anna arrived in this large rural hospital ready to go. She arrived just when she was needed the most. That is, at the peak of the malaria season. Although she did not know this prior to her arrival. With so many very sick kids showing up in the hospital, she quickly threw herself into the work of saving lives. She walked long hours as she saw many very sick children, many of whom she knew that she could normally help, but unfortunately several were still dying despite her best efforts. At the end of her fourth week, <coughs> Anna was in a crisis, discouraged, depressed, and on the verge of burnout. She declared that she was ready to head back home. In her own words, she has been defeated. She was no longer confident of her skills, abilities, and even knowledge of pediatrics. A change was needed immediately. So think about that story of Anna. What can we learn from the recruitment and preparation of Anna? Anybody? What, what are some of the thoughts that went through your mind as I read that story? I can Go back so you can continue to look at it. But is there something we can learn about how Hannah was recruited and prepared for her ministry in Africa? Anything from the story that stand out to you? Okay. Thank you. Okay. That's very helpful. That's right. Any other comment? There was no mentor. I never mentioned a mentor. No one that sort of 
Okay? Okay. No mentoring. Yes, the back. Yes, she. And she was. Very visionaries have Very good. Very helpful. Yeah? Yes? I think she had a hard time taking herself because she didn't know she could graduate Exactly. Okay. Yes? Good. Thank you. Yes? the next question real quick. Who, how, how could the hospital team have better helped Anna? Is there anything the team in the hospital could have done differently? Or could, is there anything you thought they could have done to help her? Uh, what are some of the environment, environmental factors that contributed to where Anna found herself, for example? Being alone. You remember the statistics of the country? Okay. Yes. one. How will you help Anna fulfill her dream of a six-month service in this poor country with the possibility of a longer term? Anything you advise, anything you will do for Anna. She's now at a stage of giving up, basically. Okay. Yes. Last one. Yeah. 
there's no cultural orientation, it sounds like. All of a sudden, it's thrown into this. It's just overwhelming. Yeah. So there's you know, no language. Okay. Let me go to the next one. Jason, again, not real name, <clears throat> was a final year medical student when he was sent to a country in Africa for a three-month short-time work. Jason was enthusiastic about mission and wanted to help as many people as possible. In his preparation, Jason understood that he would be of much help in the country where he was going. And in fact, he would be needed to help with some clinical work because of a lack of qualified doctors in the country. Jason's three months passed very quickly. He developed deep friendships in the country, but Jason left disillusioned with medical mission. In his reflections on, on his time in the country, Jason had this to say. I was told that I would be able to contribute to the work and would be able to help people in need. I arrived and found that there were many others who were better qualified than myself already working in the hospital. I had nothing to contribute because I did not know enough to even contribute. Jason never pursued his original vision of perhaps getting involved in mission one day. What can we learn from Jason's experience? Is there anything there that we can learn? Wrong hospital. Okay, that's good. Yes? Proper expectations are really important. Proper expectations. That's right. Okay. Yes? Uh, it seems that maybe uh, he could contribute other than just his medical capabilities, but also just being a person, being a Christ, he could have contributed. Okay. Good. Okay. Let me go to the last one. Kathy was a surgeon who had gone to serve as a long-term missionary in a very busy hospital in an African country. She was extremely dedicated to her work and has uh, had the full support of her husband in the extremely high workload of the hospital. Kathy was also the head surgeon and in charge of other clinical work in, in the hospital. In her role as the hospital chief clinical officer and head surgeon, Cathy demanded the full dedication of everyone to the work of the hospital and a 100% commitment to the work. It was made clear that there was no space for part-time roles, including married women with children, unless they opt not to be part of the hospital team altogether. Her commitment to the work was without reproach. Not long after she took charge of the clinical work, medical missionary colleagues started leaving the work one by one. The hospital went through several crises around this time as pressure mounted on the remaining missionaries and local staff to cover the workload that had been left by those who returned to their countries. Eventually, Cathy also had to leave because had, the atmosphere in the hospital had become so toxic that mission leaders had to take some actions to save the hospital. What could have been done to help Cathy in her leadership? Okay. Yes. Okay. 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 Well, it seems like yes. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Good question. <laughs> what are there ways to deal with workload that would have allowed both Cathy and her colleagues to flourish together and serve effectively in a hospital with an extremely heavy workload? Are there ways to deal with that? Any ideas? Yes. Sorry, hand this way. Yes. I think having the flexibility too about the part 
any other comments? <coughs> okay, well, thank you. Um, I just want to tell you that these are not hypothetical. Each one of these cases were true. Every single situation was as described. Now, in these situations, can you talk about people flourishing? And each of these people were people who went out with a sense of being called by God. In the case of Anna, yes, she went out with an expectation that was really not real. She went out to meet the needs of the country. But it was an impossible job because she was coming from a context where the medical practice was totally different to where she was going. And it seemed like she wasn't even prepared for that. The reality that she's going to be facing, although she was a pediatrician, well qualified, very competent, when you move into a different practice setting, your competencies can disappear sometimes. Because you are now facing diseases that you've never managed before. And Anna didn't seem to be prepared for that. Anna was not prepared for the, the high rate of mortality that she was seeing. And she was ready to give up. Actually, she was truly close to burnout. Uh, thankfully, like someone suggested, that was caught just at a place where she would have really packed up and left. And she was given a couple of days off. She was given a long weekend and actually sent out to go and rest and somewhere get perspective. She came back. She was given people who could mentor and journey with her, who can debrief with her on a very regular basis so that she could deal with the reality of a context, an environment that was totally different to what she had prepared her mind to engage with. The case of Jason was also true. It was an unrealistic expectation. And in fact, he was set up with that expectation because he was told that he was going to be a help and then she got into the context and realized she didn't know enough as a medical student, although it was a final year medical student. She, she just couldn't. This was a totally different environment of practice. And so he was disillusioned because the situation didn't turn out as he expected. In the case of Cathy, there is much that could have been done. First of all, Cathy was stuck into leadership without any preparation to be a leader. The fact that you are a surgeon or you are a physician or you are a pediatrician does not mean you will make a good leader. There is some training that goes to with being a good leader. But in mission, this has repeated itself over and over again. We pick people that we think are competent, we stick them into leadership and there is no preparation. There is no equipping. And sometimes there is no mentor with whom they can debrief and who can journey with them. And in the case of Cathy, her missionary career was actually cut shorter than anticipated because eventually they had to leave because of the toxic atmosphere in the hospital. And all of these people, I believe, could have been helped. They could have flourished if the setting, the environment, and it was different. So, I want us to think about the whole question of flourishing. You know, the dictionary definition of flourishing says applied, when applied to a living organism, it means growing and developing in a healthy or vigorous way. Note the especially, especially as a result of a particularly congenial environment. One thing that is critical to flourishing is the environment. The tree in Psalm 1-3, the reason that tree could flourish is the environment planted among channels of water. The environment was ripe for flourishing. In the, in the verb form, 
a person, animal, or other living organisms to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as a result of favorable environment. So the environment matters, but the environment for flourishing is not just the environment of where people are going. It's also the environment from which they are coming. Because both environments play off each other in the process of preparing people to go out and flourish as missionaries and as medical missionaries particularly. Alexandra <coughs> Hazia said, when a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. I think sometime in mission, we try to fix the flower rather than the environment in which the flower is growing. Environment matters. And that's why I, I call this that flourishing begins at home. Because the first environment a missionary is introduced to is the environment of the sending context. Sending organization, sending church, churches, or sending team, whatever that is. That's the first environment into which a missionary is introduced. And then that environment got complicated by packing your luggage, leaving the, the familiar people you know and love, and then going to a place where you don't know anybody. And now you have, you have been transplanted into a new environment in which you have to actually grow and flourish. And that's very challenging. So, what are some of the things that impact people's ability to grow in the context of mission. Let's look at the case of the mission hospitals particularly. See, most of the mission hospitals were set up in the era of smaller population. Many of the mission hospitals you are going to go were not set up in 2000. Many of them have been there 50 years, 80 years, some of them 100 years, when the population of those countries were much smaller than what it is today. And that was the situation with Cathy. No, excuse me, no, with, uh, with Anna. This country, the population has continued to grow. There are so many children, and the workload has increased significantly. But the mission hospital has never taken into account the reality of the changing population around them. The work was still done the same way. There's a larger pool, there was a larger pool of missionary workers and fewer trained local staff. In those days, most of these hospitals were manned by trained uh, medical missionaries. But that has changed. And sometimes the mentality and the attitude to work is also different. Because there, the difference, there is a difference between someone who came to take a job because they can get paid and feed their family and someone who left home and family because they want to go and serve someone else. And those realities are part of the environment into which the missionary is coming. Simplified medical care. For most countries, it used to be that the, the, the system was pretty simple. I remember those days when we used to treat malaria with chloroquine. Nobody would give chloroquine for malaria today. But it was a lot simpler then. And it's true for many other situations, diseases, and uh, the cases we manage. Things have changed. And I think sometimes we are the last to, embrace, to understand that change had taken place. Closer relationship between clinical practices in the context of training and context of practice. In those days, there used to be a lot closer relationship between your clinical training, say if we are coming from the U.S., and what we do abroad. But now it's very different. Here you are dealing with a lot of chronic diseases. But out there you are still dealing with acute infections. And sometimes, for example, in surgery, here most surgery are microsurgery. These days, they are, you know, you, you do laparoscopy and things. But you get the, out there, you don't have any of those. And now you have to figure out how do you do surgery that you've only seen done microscopically or laparoscopically? How do you now do it opening up the patient? You see, the reality, the gap has grown significantly. 
charitable services under, underwritten by externally supported foreign missionaries. This was part of the reality. In those days, when you have a lot of missionaries, the hospital didn't need a whole lot of money. And if the hospital needed money, it was raised by the missionaries. But now you have a whole bunch of local staff who needed to be paid. And you are still running the hospital with the mentality of this is a charitable place. And you get into these complex difficulties of managing money, managing people, managing diseases, and just the interplay sometimes can be quite toxic. Because staff demand to be well paid, and you know you cannot run the hospital without them. And at the same time, you don't want to charge exorbitant amounts because you know that that's what the private hospital down the road does. Because you want to serve the needy. And there is just so much to deal with that can really make, make it difficult for medical workers to really flourish in their calling. What are some of those current realities that impact uh, flourishing? The workload. I mean, that's clear from these case studies. The workload for Cathy was impossible. And the workload was impossible for her colleagues. But when there was no way to deal with it, what happened? The colleagues were leaving one by one. But the workload has not changed. And did not change. So, in other words, there were more pressure on the few remaining as more and more were leaving. And there was no way to say, let's deal with this. How do we cut back on what we do? I know that it's very difficult for missionaries to, to cut back on workload. Because sometimes we almost feel like we are the savior. That was the case with Anna. The workload was impossible. But she wanted to do it because she's used to saving lives. She wants to save as many of these children as possible. Almost to the detriment of her own health. Scarce resources. This particularly impacted Anna. Because she would do some lab work. She needed lab work yesterday. But of course, the way the hospital functions, that lab work may not be ready till tomorrow. And what do you do? Between that that time and when it's uh, available, limited trained staff. Sometimes you might be great with what you do, but what of the staff that will manage the case for you. In some cases, you don't have good post-op management for surgical cases because the staff are just not trained well. And what do you do? You might be the best surgeon in the world, but you might also just get very discouraged because you are losing patients you shouldn't lose. Local worldview, including superstition. A lot of superstition around diseases. Even diseases as simple as malaria. And how do you deal with those things when mothers won't give the medicine you give because they don't really believe that's the real medicine for the disease they think their children have? No, the harsh climate. For some of the places where we go, the climate itself is very challenging. My wife and I worked in Niger Republic. And for some time, I was uh, the health officer for for our country, for the area. And I used to tell new missionaries when they arrived, Don't ever imagine that you will work like you used to work at home. You see, when you work in cooler environments, you can work long hours sometimes without being exhausted. When you are working at the edge of the desert, at 50 degrees centigrade, you get exhausted in a few hours. And some people don't take those realities, those environmental realities into account. They still want to work the way they used to work at home. And what happens, men, you know, they get dehydrated, they get exhausted, they get burned out, and they have to come home. But a lot of these things are things that people need to know before they leave home. And this is one of the challenges for preparing missionaries. Relational problems with pressure from colleagues. In the case of Cathy, that was a problem. A lot of pressure from her on other colleagues to work just the way she worked. But none of us are made the same. None of us will ever work the same way. 
And those are some of the things that deprive people the ability to flourish in what God has called them to do. The demand to be like others. And then untrained and unsupported leadership and administration. Again, that was the case for Kathy. She was not a trained leader. And she didn't seem to have the appropriate leadership support to help her succeed in what she was not trained to do. I think one of the questions that was raised was, didn't she have supervisors? Well, she did. But sometimes the supervisors don't actually hear what is going on. Because missionaries don't tell on each other. And that culture of silence actually damages people sometimes. Because you create this toxic environment in which everyone stays silent and everyone bears the pain of what is going on. And the only way we see out is to leave. And even when people leave, sometimes they leave on the basis of some very respectable reasons. Like, well, you know, we we really think our children need a break. Or, well, we think we need to move a little closer to our parents. We find, you know, respectable reasons. We don't want to say, well, it's because I couldn't serve under that leader anymore. But if you say that, you might save a few other people from pain. So, these are some of the realities of the context to which we're going. So, flourishing or withering. How do you start from home? I think the first place to start to prepare missionaries, medical missionaries, and any missionaries to flourish is to, with the recruitment process. The time when they encounter our organization. I think we need to be honest with the realities into which people are going. We need to, I know that, especially younger people, they are willing to go to very difficult places. That's great, but we need to help them understand that difficult places are challenging and are painful sometimes. For people like Anna, she could have been better prepared if she knew that she was walking into a situation when that's the malaria season and the hospital would be overflowing and maybe she had never even treated malaria ever. And then she's going to encounter children with cerebral malaria. And, you know, in many of these cases, you have children brought in who die sometime before a doctor can even get to see them because they're so sick. And for her, she was judging herself based on the outcome rather than recognizing that this is just the reality of the environment into which she has come to help. And I think preparing someone like Anna with clear understanding of reality may have helped her from getting to the place that she went. The location of assignment. And somebody said maybe Anna should have gone at that, shouldn't have gone at that time. That's true. Although, again, she was needed. But, sometimes the location matters. That was the case for Jason. Since Jason wanted to be able to help to actually practice medicine, she should have gone to a place where there are no doctors. Or at least, maybe there's just one or two people and she can have, he, he could have a lot of opportunity to practice. But she went to a place where there are many others and she didn't know, I mean, he didn't know that. And I think it's important in the process of recruitment, in the process of preparation, that people get full information about where they're going. Team dynamics. Actually, in both Anna and Cathy's case, the team dynamics was not helpful to them. Because Anna didn't get the help. Nobody seemed to pick up that Anna was dying gradually on the inside. And it was necessary, even when the moment Anna arrived, that someone take interest to be her body, her mentor. She was single, as pointed out to us. And sometimes single people get overlooked because most of us who are married are too busy with our families. But if our teams 
we see each other as part of a family. If our teams are prepared to be family to each other, that situation could have been different. In the case of Cathy, the team dynamics was quite toxic. But again, nobody was dealing with that environment, that toxic environment that was gradually killing people off. Preparation for a different work environment. For people going from one context to another, the environment will always be different. It doesn't matter. If you go from the U.S. to Canada, it will be a different work environment. In fact, if you go from one part of the U.S. to another, it will still be a different work environment. The, the environment matters to flourishing. And so to equip people before they leave, to understand that they are going to a different context, a different environment, and to figure out how best they grow might be uh, uh, something that would be very helpful to some of our workers. Addressing assumptions that will undermine well-being even before people leave home. Anna was a very qualified pediatrician, but she had not taken into account the fact that she had never practiced in the context that she was going. She assumed that because she had the skill to save lives, it would be the same there. And it was because that assumption was not borne out. That's why she thought she was no longer a competent pediatrician. That she, no longer, she didn't have the skill and knowledge. And in fact, I'm just saying, that, that's exactly what she said. She lost, conf, she lost confidence in her skill because her assumptions about what she would be able to do in a different context was wrong. And when you have a wrong assumption, you don't flourish in your new context because those assumptions are not borne out. You begin to wither from within. What about the organization? I'll go through this really quick. Change approaches to recruitment. Recruit real people, not saviors. Don't send people to meet the need of those downtrodden people out there. Send people who will go in obedience to Jesus. They might help people, but they are not the savior of those people. In some of these cases, there was that savior complex or savior mentality. Even for Cathy, that was a big issue. She felt they have to care for everybody that show up in the hospital. You just demand more and more and more from your colleagues rather than recognizing that you have limitations as people. And you don't have to see everyone that comes every day to the expense, I mean at the, at the expense of the health of your colleagues. Change approach to preparation, full briefing on context, on the theme they are going into, on the culture they are going into, on the real resources that may or may not be available to them. That's very important. Limit expectations of what could be accomplished. Situate compassionate action within capacity. We want to be compassionate. Then we want to be compassionate within the capacity that God has given to us. It's very interesting that Jesus didn't heal everyone in Judea. He could have done it. I mean, he didn't even have to practice medicine. He just had to lay hand on them or say something. And yet he didn't. Why? And sometimes we feel like we've been called out to heal everybody. Well, it's not going to happen because we're not God. Provide mentors for new missionaries. I don't even think I need to emphasize that one. I think it's really important, particularly in the medical field, but I believe that in all fields of ministry, having someone to just journey together can be very helpful. Although some organizations do this better than others, but I think it's, it's, it's important these days to journey with someone. Consider flexible work structure, especially in harsh environments. I mean, what if people have been allowed to do part-time in the case of CATI? Perhaps the workload would have been less on those who are doing full-time. And maybe not many people would have left and the workload would become so bad that the situation turned toxic. Flexibility can be part of the ways we get to flourish 
We choose flexibility for ourselves just like we allow our team members to choose it. Set realistic expectations of what a team could accomplish as an organizational policy and guideline. Set guidelines for your teams because we want your people to flourish in their calling. Empower leaders to lead. But pay attention to the state of the flock. And if a, a leader is having issues and struggling, then it's time to journey alongside with that leader to find out what the issues are. And if the person is totally untrained and uh, I mean, really incompetent, then find another leader. Don't let leaders you know, hurt people and you know, take, take away their ability to flourish and grow. What of the worker? Clarify personal identity. For many people who come from the West, your identity is tied up in what you do, in your competence. No, I didn't coin that. Somebody told me that. In your competence. But sometimes that is also the fastest route to withering. Because you push and push because you want to validate yourself. But Jesus didn't call us so that we can validate ourselves. We are already valid in him. We don't need any further validation than that Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I think we need to remind our, our, our workers that they should clarify, they should be clear about their own identity in Christ before they go. Emphasize reliance on Christ, not just training and experience. In each of these cases, the training and experience didn't, wasn't sufficient. Dependence on Christ is very important. Gain a perspective on true compassion, including personal limits and boundaries, as well as boundaries for colleagues on the team. There is a need for boundaries, limitations. When I came to international leadership, I went to my director at the time, I was serving as deputy international director. I went to my international director and I said to him, I cannot be in the office five days a week. I will wither. In fact, I will not survive very long. Because as much as I love people and I enjoy people and you see me, you think, yeah, this guy is a a social animal. (laughs) I am quite introverted. And I need a break from people. I love people, but I need a break from people. So I had to say to him, if you really want me to survive, I can do up to four days. By that four days, the, the feeling I had to stay away because I need to recover. Know yourself. It's very important that people know the limit of their ability. And that is really important to flourishing. Understand true community. We need one another. The community is very important. And we need to see each other as there to support each other, like the case of the single lady. If that team functioned as a community, then somebody would have picked up that she was you know, suffering. She, she was really struggling. But when everybody is really focused on what they are doing, then we don't see that people are beginning to wither. These things I have spoken to you, says Jesus, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We are called to the fullness of joy. And when you have the joy of the Lord, you flourish. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what was said in Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our strength is not in our experience. Our strength is not in our competency. Our strength is not in our degrees. Our strength is in the joy of the Lord. And I think the way we prepare our people for that, to go in that joy of the Lord, the better. Putting it all together, let's start here. I won't read that passage. That's Isaiah 43. You can read it. When you get back, I just want to quickly point out a few things in Isaiah 43 for us to wrap up. First of all, in Isaiah 43, God was speaking to his people. He said to them, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
I believe that every worker who answers God's call belongs to God, not to our organization. They belong to God. And so, they have to function according to how God has called them. And in this passage, in this passage, Jesus said, You are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen. So who did the calling? Who did the choosing? God. We don't choose him. He chose us. And then he said he appointed them in, in, uh, in the book of John to go. And then, what was the priority? In verse 10, that you may know and believe me and understand that I'm he. I really believe that the first priority of God's call on our lives is that we may know him, we may believe him, and we may understand him. So when Jesus called the first apostles, what, uh, disciples, what did he say? Follow me and I will do what? I will make you. It is to know him. He called them. In fact, in the book of Mark said, he called them to himself. And then that he may send them. So that they will know him. They will understand him. They will believe him. And then he will send them. And that's how we are called. Every one of us. And I believe that if we prepare people to go out recognizing that their primary, the first call is to Jesus himself, not to really change the whole world, then we might have a, a, a more reasonable expectation of our own abilities. So the priority is to know him. The caller is him. The priority is to know him. And who determines the outcome? The Lord. I, verse 13, I perform, and who can cancel it? I perform, and who can cancel it? The Lord is the one who does the work. He does it through us. It's not dependent on us. So, we must get right our own identity, our core and the caller. The priority of the call and who is really in charge of the outcome. So, a flourishing life of joy in medical mission will include recruitment and preparation that address the work and the work environment and its realities, healthy team dynamics and community relationship for growth and accountability, intentional organizational investment in mentoring, well-being, good leadership and administrative support, an understanding of our identity, who we are, which is not the sum of our medical productivity or patient care. We are much more than that. And keeping in sight who is the caller, what is the priority of the call, and who is ultimately responsible for the outcome. Thank you. Uh, any questions, comments? We have about uh, seven minutes to interact. Yes? Yes? Um, uh, yes, I know each of these situations, and none of them was able to come under African leadership or African pastors. It just, it was, it just was not the way things were done. Yeah. I think for most of our missionary teams, the, the, I think the belief of most of our missionary teams is still that only people from their context or fellow missionaries can understand them. Yeah, you can check that out if you do spiritual life conference. Just check out where your, your spiritual life conference speakers come from. We always 
go back home because those are the people that understand us. We need uh, a counselor to come from home because those are the people that understand us. I mean, so that kind of approach is not usual at all. At least I don't know how many organizations do that intentionally. Yes? Thank you. That's, that's correct. Uh, many people go with the mentality that they are, they, I mean, they, they have to meet the expectation of those who are paying for them to be there. See, this is where we, we, we end up with uh, a, a dualistic thinking. Because all of us, when we go out, we say God has called us. Isn't it? And when we raise our support, we say what God has provided. But in reality, we think that those who are giving are the ones sending us. And we are more focused on the accountability to those people than sometimes accountability to God. So, in fact, we, we live in a dualistic world in which, yes, God is, uh, is in charge. I used to tell people, it's like, yes, God, you are the king, but I am the prime minister. So, I'm, I, you, you can tell me all that we want, but I make things happen. And I decide what happened. And I think that's a challenge for us. In terms of really coming to a real understanding of scripture. Even the first missionaries that were commissioned by the church. It's very interesting because when you read Acts 13, he said, The Holy Spirit spoke to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. And the Bible says they prayed, they fasted and prayed, and then they commissioned them and sent them forth. But then when you read verse 4, he said, having been sent by the Holy Spirit, not having been sent by the church in Antioch. But in all our missiology, we really believe that it was the church in Antioch, Antioch that sent them. But in fact, Scripture says it was the Holy Spirit that sent them. And that's a challenge for us. Because we... We cannot situate our calling within what God himself is doing and reconcile the people he is actually using to send us. So it's a challenge. But I think if you go back to Isaiah and you ask yourself, who is the caller and the sender? It's God. He said, I am the one who chose you to be my witnesses. What did Jesus say? You are my witnesses. I'm sending you as witnesses. So he uses people. But remember, your supporters are simply invited by God to participate in what he is doing, just like you have been invited to participate in what he is doing. But at the end of the day, God is still the one at work. And I think that frees us. And one of, we need to be accountable to one another. That's what community is about. But at the same time, we have to recognize who is actually calling. I have two minutes for. This is really great starting from the beginning, but what if there is a team involved, or a team in place that may not be flourishing? How do you, how would you encourage them to kind of go back and reset? Good question. Yes. So if you have a team that is not flourishing, it's time to send a, peer, a team to them that can help them really step back. Even maybe go on a retreat to really ask themselves what is going on. I mean, you have to start from what went wrong. Where did we miss the point? Where did we come? When did we begin to put pressure on one another? And I can assure you that reset can be very difficult. I've seen it firsthand. And sometimes the people that will be helped most are the ones who will oppose it most. Seriously. 
because they, they, they cannot immediately see the impact of that research. It takes time. A lot of times, it is only by the, by the benefit of hindsight that we see the wisdom of an action that we have taken. But, of course, you don't get hindsight at the point of the action. So that's why you need a leadership that can say, we're just going to do this because we're not functioning well. That's why I said, you have to have leaders who lead. It's 5 p.m. Thank you very much. Your Lord bless you.